Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, and this evening I am blessed and honored to have the lovely Maria Mejia joining me as a co-host. Welcome, Maria. Hello, Robert. How are you? Good, good. I'm so happy to have you with us tonight, or with me tonight, actually. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here with you tonight. Yeah, it was awesome how, um, you know, kind of everything fell into place. Um, Jeremy had to take the night off tonight, and... I was kind of stuck, so I thought, you know, I guess we'll announce it now and make it official. You actually won the Red Ribbon Photo Challenge that um, Pazam Radio has been doing for the month of June in honor of the first ever HIV AIDS Awareness Month. And you submitted your photo and had the most likes, and you won the photo uh, challenge. So um, I thought it would be pretty cool. You know, so first, congratulations on that. Um, Very well done. I thought it was a great photo of you and your girlfriend and, and, and dad. Yes. So where is that photo taken at? That was actually in um, Miami AIDS Walk. Not the one um, from this year, but the one from last year. I see. Actually, Dab took the picture of us. Oh, wow. Yeah, Dab takes great photos. (laughs) Yeah, he sure does. (laughs) He has like a million photos. for, For people who don't know, who maybe not be familiar with you, tell people a little bit about who you are, a little bit about yourself, just so you know, people can get a feel of who you are. Right. Um, okay, well, um, I have been positive uh, for 23 years. Um, I was infected by my first boyfriend at the age of 16 in 1989. I was diagnosed in 1991, one week after my birthday, my 18th birthday. And um, basically, you know, um, the years passed, and it was a death sentence back then, and... Um, and that's just the reality. You know, people were just dying, and um, I was just, I went back home, you know, to die with my mother and my little brother. And um, as time passed, like with many long-term survivors, we, we didn't die. And um, around 11 years ago, I started my activism um, in, as a peer educator in special immunology of hospital here with the University of Miami and um, as a tester, um, but I was not um, completely out of the HIV closet yet, so I was, um, you know, going to schools and small settings, conferences and things like that, uh, but I was still carrying that stigma, and um, I was just pretty much afraid, you know, because in the Hispanic community, it's like they're like, don't ask, don't tell, you know, they want to keep everything mm-hmm. within the family and themselves, so... Um, a couple of years ago, I decided to um, to take advantage of social media because I saw that that was the biggest way to reach, you know, young people because when you see young people, actually young and old, they're connected to Facebook through Twitter, um, you know, YouTube and everything, you know, and um, I say, you know what, this is this is something major because we could really reach millions of people around the world and, you know, here in the United States that maybe they're afraid to go to a support group because they're going to be seen or maybe they're sick um, and they just have easy access through their phones or through the Internet. Um, And um, I became, you know, a blogger for thebody.com, for the World Project, a girl like me, and recently I started blogging for Until There's a Cure. And, um, you know, just like, Spreading the word, you know, creating awareness, um, trying to educate, you know, um, you know, talk to young people about prevention and um, getting tested, and for the newly diagnosed, you know, help them in the journey. So, pretty much, right, you know, no. I'm, I'm, I'm like, um, I'm, I describe myself as just r- relentless. I, I am just 
very OCD on it, and um, I just want to help save lives. And you know, if I could help one person save one person's life, my job is done. No, I think it's great, and I have to agree with you with the the amount of social media. You know, because you're you're very similar to what I am. Is what I like to call myself as a cyber activist, somebody who is very active I- online to raise awareness. And I think you fall perfectly under you know that category. Um, and speaking of using social media, um, I want to talk about um, the next photo challenge that Pause Radio is doing. And we're actually, for the month of July, we are actually asking everybody to jump on board with the Pause IM Radio show and the hashtag HIV team and participate in another HIV AIDS awareness photo challenge. This month, we're going to be asking you to snap a photo of yourself and the HIV Twitter, Twitter on board sign. So be creative, be original, and be a trend center. If you go to Facebook, um, the hashtag HIV page, the word hashtag, and then HIV, uh, you'll be able to find it there, and you'll be able to download and print out the photo. And we're asking you to submit a photo, basically, of yourself holding this sign up. Um, If you're asking yourself, what is the hashtag HIV? What is it all about? And what it is is a global initiative to trend um, hashtag HIV on Twitter for the first time in history during the International AIDS Conference. The goal is to trend HIV and re-engage the community and reignite the conversation about HIV. You can help us by following us, the HIV, hashtag HIV team, by adding HIV tweets to all your Twitters. Did I make any sense? No, by adding the hashtag HIV to all your tweets. God, woo, look too many tweets twats back. <laughs> <laughs> so how can you submit a photo is probably the next question. And you can just go, like I said, to the Facebook page, and you can take care of all that there. Again, the word hashtag HIV on Facebook, check it out. You can submit the rules in there. The cool thing about it is for the prize, um, we are actually going to reveal it during the International AIDS Conference. The winner is going to be announced during Daniel Bauer's show, um, Beyond Belief. So that is going to be really incredible. But the prize is also a scholarship to the Positive Living 16 Conference that takes place on March 8th to the 10th of 2013 in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. The scholarship will actually include free registration, three nights in lodging, and all meals included while you're there. Uh, the, the scholarship prize does not include airfare or transportation to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, but it covers everything else. So it's definitely something awesome you should do. Go to, again, Facebook backslash hashtag HIV and submit your photo. It's going to be one awesome thing. So you have to get yours up there. Mine's going to be uh, submitted after we're going to post uh, some of the hashtag uh, HIV team members photos up after um, the show tonight. So you're going to want to go there and check them out because some of them are quite interesting. So, yeah. Are you going to be awesome. making one of yours? I'm sorry? Are you going to be making a photo? Of course. You're, actually, yes, you're, you're, going, you're actually, since since you won uh, the Red Ribbon Challenge, we're going to have you uh, be one of the judges along with us and what you uh, the executive director of AIDS Oasis, who runs the Positive Living Conferences. So we're all going to sit down and pick, and we're going to choose the winner on being creativity, you know, being how creative you are, the originality of it. And, of course, we're going to take into consideration the number of likes that each photo gets. But, again, this, isn't, this one isn't going to be a likes contest. It's going to be definitely based on how you use this photo to raise awareness. So go check it out. It's definitely uh, an awesome image to print out, and so many creative ways you can use this image to promote awareness, So. Definitely uh, send that to us on the page. I have ideas. Do you have ideas? I did mine today. Well, you know, I'm, I'm brainstorming many, many things in my head, and, and hopefully I come up with something creative. What have you come up I'm with? I'm sure you will. Um, I'm not going to say. Mine are a, a little bit different. I'm going to post them afterwards, and I'm going to say that they are right. little... They're, they're, I'm going for shock value. Let's say that. So oh, you have wow. to go to the hashtag HIV page on Facebook to, to check it out. It's going to be posted afterwards, and I'm definitely going for shock. Put it that way. Well, I'm definitely going to go and see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just have Especially to even had shock value. So oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always so laid back. You know what I mean? Right. So I thought I would do something a little bit out of my comfort zone to kind of uh, spark the conversation of HIV on Twitter. So actually, our guest is uh, sitting here on, on hold, so please help me welcome Sean Decker to the show. Welcome, Sean. Hello. Hi, yeah, Sean. I'm here. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? 
Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Nice to talk to you two tonight. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, you got you guys uh, are both uh, very inspiring to me as as people who are out there spreading the word and uh, humanizing HIV because uh, even today, as you guys said, there's so much uh, social media activity and we see a lot of our friends who are doing likewise. But, um, but yeah, so many people still feel like uh, they have to hide their status. They feel ashamed to admit it to their family and friends. And I think those people nowadays with, with the internet, they're, they're seeing what, what you two are doing and, and it's an honor to talk to you guys. Well, it's an honor to have you all with us too. You. you know, you're one of those pioneer leaders who people like us, you know, look up to. Oh, <laughs> thanks, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I tell a lot of people now when, when, um, when they ask me about, you know, why I decide to speak out. Um, for me, the the quickest way to speak out and tell as many people about my status at one time was was to go online. And uh, when I first put up a website. Um, called my pet virus um in 1996 i i really i really thought when i i went online for like the first time i really thought searching for for hiv and aids sites i thought i thought there'd be just like a ton of them a ton of resources and it was very sparse back then and and nowadays it's like the internet in 2012 is what i thought was going to be sitting there in 1996 and it's just it's it's so cool to to have seen it just kind of develop over time right it's amazing how quickly it moves. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, like now information is literally at your fingertips. Yeah, yeah. When when uh, you know years ago, people had to, you know, they had to talk to their doctors, and depending on where they where they lived and what doctor they had access to, you know, they, you know, not every doctor is an HIV specialist, so a lot of people were right. just not getting up to date information and. Nowadays, yeah, it's just it's just all out there. You just gotta know where to look, and you know, and there's a lot of misinformation too, which people need to be careful of. But it's so easy to find reputable sources and and get the information you need. And and people, I think people maybe spend less less time after a new diagnosis, um, fearing for how much time they have um, to live because there's so many examples that you know. If you you know go to your doctor's appointments, if you know your status, if you know what you need to do to maintain your health, you can do it. Yeah. But yeah, just just yeah, I, I mean, you know, just it's just so sad to think, you know, how how many people you know just kind of sit on their their test results for a long time and and not actually you know seek care or seek uh, you know confide in people just to get you know a, a social support system going. Oh, I know. It took me about five years to get any kind of to reach out to anybody about it. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a long time. My thing is, is I didn't feel like I was really positive or really sick or had anything to worry about because I wasn't taking that medicine every day. Yeah. You know, because uh, my counts were good, so I didn't have that daily reminder of, oh my God, I have something. Absolutely. And Mar- no, Maria, and Maria, how long was it for you before you like uh, decided you wanted to like talk to people or even kind of come to terms well, actually, with being positive? Actually, when um, when I found out, um, I found out through um, a program called Job Corps. You go to school, and then they just—I didn't get sick or anything. They just did a random test um, to all the students that came in. So. Basically, um, as I was telling Robert, it was back then it was like a dead sentence. So um, I returned to Miami, which is where I live, and um, my mother decided, you know, to return back to our country, Colombia. And um, I didn't have no type of support besides my mother. There were no support groups. Um, there were no medications. Not even the viral load test existed. Um, nothing. I mean, until this day in my country. There's no support system. I mean, I, you know, I try to give them support through the Internet, you know, um, and that's mm. one of the that I focus on. But it was, you know, really hard for me because I really didn't have any type of of being able to talk to anyone, um, you know, anyone that could guide me or anything. So pretty much I, what I did was I would go to the library and, um, you know, like medical student libraries and get, like, all the information about HIV. And, and I, so I, like, t- 
taught myself, you know, about the disease, and as the years progressed, um, I returned back here to Miami, and um, basically I dove right into my activism, but as I was telling Robert in a small way, um, and I was always wanting to, to learn to, to talk to others that had the same condition as me and everything, but I was always, you know, like very um, a little bit repressed, um, with coming out of the HIV closet, as I call it, because, you know, my mother always told me, and, I came from, and it came from a good place, you know, never tell family or friends because they're going to discriminate you. So, you know, it was a hard thing Speaking. for me, but that was just how it, how it was. And as years progressed, things got better. I started talking more and coming out more. So it was you know, a process. Sean, how was that for you, Sean? Because, when you know, for people who don't know your story, you were – you know, infected as a child through a blood transfusion. Um, how was that like, I mean, and t- tell people a little bit about, you know, your story of, of, you know, how you were, you know, infected when you were young and you, you got kicked out of school at sixth grade. Um, how how wow. was that for you? Because your story was very, like, similar like to White. Ryan White. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, like in two weeks, I'm going to be celebrating a birthday, 37, which is which is which is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, like wow. for me, uh, I was born with a blood clotting disorder, hemophilia, and I was born in a time when when they had made advancements in treatment uh, for people with hemophilia, where you could you could treat yourself at home. You know, the the days of being in the hospital for a week or two to to treat a bleed were 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 you know kind of behind the times when I was born, which was great. Um, so I was part of, like, the first generation of, of kids with hemophilia who were told, you know, you can have a normal, active lifestyle. You can have a normal childhood. And so, yeah, I mean, I had I had issues. You know, hemophilia is definitely a, a serious medical condition. But, you know, I played baseball, and I, you know, grew up in a neighborhood with friends my own age. And, you know, I had, had the typical kind of suburban American childhood. Um, the problem with growing up, you know, in the – late 70s and, uh, you know, early 80s was that those new treatments were, uh, you know, when HIV hit, um, HIV was in the blood supply. And so, uh, you know, one one treatment for hemophilia is concentrated blood plasma cold from thousands of sources. So um, it's likely that I was probably, uh, you know, infected, uh, you know, repeatedly uh, with, with HIV or at least exposed to the virus more than one time. Um so yeah, my parents knew, you know, as as word got out that people with hemophilia in the early 1980s were a high risk group. Um, you know, my parents kind of knew that 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 I was probably infected with HIV, and also too around the time of fourth grade, you know, there were signs that my immune system was compromised. And right. so the first time I was officially tested uh, for HIV was in the sixth grade, and when it came back positive, yeah, I mean, my my mom told my teacher and. My teacher talked to her doctor, and her doctor was the mayor of the small town in Virginia that I grew up in, and and I was, you know, I was kicked out of school as, as you know, wow. people uh, people were just so ignorant they didn't they thought I was a risk to other students, whereas the reality of being HIV positive and being 11 is the other students are a risk to you because whatever they're sick with, you're going to get it. You have a compromised immune system, and and you're the one who's at risk. But but back then it was just you know people were people were very confused. I mean even today people are still confused about how it's yeah. how it's transmitted and how it isn't. But but yeah then it was like better they thought better safe than sorry get Sean out of school and then we had to you know my parents had to spend the whole summer with my doctors trying to trying to talk to the school board and get me back in and I was able to get back in but I found out very quickly that uh, HIV was a was a different medical condition from hemophilia that HIV came with stigma it came with all this fear it came with it came with a whole different set of baggage um notwithstanding you know my fear of my mortality was attached to all that too so it was a very confusing time for me Let me ask wow, you something so, Sean, did your mother discuss it with you did you, you did you know that you were positive at such a young age yeah, yeah, my mom, um, she didn't talk to me about all the stuff that was going on with the school and, and how hard it was for them to get me back in. She just said, they, my parents decided, like, they're going to deal with that and they're not going to add any more stress to my life than was already there. But, but yeah, um, my my mom was, was, was pretty open to me about, you know, what this was, how I contracted the virus, and, and, and you know, uh, she she told me you know what what the dangers of the virus are that it that it can weaken the immune system and we just had to be um, very careful and you know I think 
she did what any mom would do. You got to let me know how you're feeling, Sean. You know, <laughs> if you're not feeling good, you got to let me know, and those type things. Yeah. Um, my my thing was, uh, I just got very confused when 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 you know the 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 discrimination came in. I was very confused when, like, my best friend's parents wouldn't let me spend a night at their house anymore. And those were the things I went to my mom asking about. I really ran from the medical side of it because I, even at 11, I knew what, what HIV was. I'd seen the news, you know. I'd, right. I'd heard uh, AIDS jokes in school. I, I knew what it was. I was very tuned into, like, oh, that's a medical condition. Um, and And it wasn't one that you know, there, there was no hope of survival in 1987. So I ran from the medical side of things. But where I was curious was, oh, why, why? How come my friends' parents got the information about how to transmit, and they still don't want me to spend the night? And then as I got older, and once I started speaking out, I look back and I'm like, you know, it's a small town. They understand I'm not at risk, but they don't want they don't want to be discriminated against. They don't want their friends to be like, oh, you know, the kid with HIV spent the night at so-and-so's house. So it was like, just like, yeah, just the fear and the discrimination just was sort of like a chain reaction. But at the same time, you know, I made new friends. Um, You know, I had friends whose parents didn't care, and and so life went on. But initially it was like, man, at first my fear was my own mortality, but then as other things started to happen, my fear became man, am I going to ever have that normal life I was promised when, you know, you can right. you can have a normal life with hemophilia, but I wasn't quite sure you could have a normal life with HIV there, in the, in, especially in the beginning. That's interesting because that's something that everybody who's newly diagnosed, you know, has that, that question in their head, you know, can I have a normal life after becoming positive? You know, one of the things I want to ask you about is since you're similar, your situation is similar, um, Juan, how do you feel about the situation that happened up in the Hershey School where the kid um, it was basically not allowed to come because he was HIV positive. And then my second kind of follow-up to that would be, what would you say to that kid as somebody who kind of experienced that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, I was definitely, uh, I was definitely shocked to hear that that could happen. You know, in 2011, it all kind of went down last year. That that somebody, you know, makes the grade, they work hard, um, and then they are told they can't they can't attend that school because of a medical condition. Um, and I think that has to do a lot with um, just ignorance about, you know, how people with HIV, like on medication, they're healthy. It's not like they need round-the-clock nurse service. Um, so, so yeah, just that the fact that somebody was discriminated based on, on ignorance about how HIV is treated these days and how um, someone who is on top of it can maintain their health and attend the school and not have any issues um, I'm sure he's not the only person to have applied to the school and gotten in the school who has a medical condition. Um, I'm sure a lot of a lot of kids who go to that school probably have their prescriptions and they take their medication and 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 they weren't kind of looked at twice over it. But somehow HIV, um, you know, mm. got special treatment as it often does. So yeah, my uh, you know my my advice to him would be um, you know. Just, just you know, don't let it affect you uh, emotionally. Um, don't let this one instance of discrimination um, change the way you feel about being accepted. And, and that, you know, that, you know, and in some ways, it's like, unfortunately, society needs these reminders, and people need to see that this stuff still happens. It's terrible that somebody has to personally go through it, but, but you know, in a way, he's educated so many people about what people with HIV face and why people, you know, people keep their Status is private. It's illegal to, to fire somebody at work because of their HIV status, but people still yeah. keep their, their status as private because they know another excuse could be drummed up. And what's interesting about this case is that HIV was specifically pointed out as the reason, and, and, and mm-hmm. even after getting educated, the school still held to their uh, their opinion that um, that was a deal breaker. Yeah, it was pretty incredible here. I mean, I'm from Pennsylvania, so I I, I, it took offense to it. I was like, are you serious? Like, I don't know. I just couldn't believe that that would happen in my own state. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's eye-opening, um, you know, and just the fact that they kind of, you know, have held to their guns on it is just, you know, I don't Horrible. know. With, with so, as we were saying before, <laughs> with so much information, you know, mm-hmm. newly diagnosed people can go online and find sources and find out, like, you know how HIV is transmitted, how it's not, how people can can maintain their health and be HIV positive, and uh, and you know when the school was was you know when the whole 
the whole thing happened and everybody was going crazy about it even after the fact they they never stepped back far enough to be like hey maybe we made a mistake here um and i think that happens sometimes when people are embarrassed they want to prove they're right so they're going to dig their heels in and um you know and feel like they're not going to get pushed around to do something they're not comfortable with and as opposed to looking at it from a different perspective and addressing their fears and realizing this kid is is not a health risk being at the school, um, you okay. know. But I think that's the thing. People get really freaked out about um, teenagers and HIV, and they'll draw up any excuse. And I think really, you know, people are just afraid that, that, that teenagers are always thinking about sex, and then people don't even want to address them. We don't even want to have sex education in public schools. And so for, I think for some people, the thought of, of somebody with HIV being at a boarding school is just something they don't even want to think about. So it's easier to just deny him, uh, you know, admission and not have to think about it again. But, you know, the AIDS community, mm-hmm. you know, rose up in an uproar, so they did have to think about it again, and they're still thinking about it. So it would have been easier for yeah. them to just not not stereotype teenagers and not be fearful of somebody who's Chevy positive. All right. And so, I agree completely with you because when, at least what I could say with job courts, you know, when they tested me, they gave me the choice. They told me, Maria, you could stay if you choose. Um, they mentioned that there was another kid that was HIV positive, and um, they didn't reject me. So, like, when, I, when I've argued with the people that say that um, the kid was a threat to the other students, I'm like, well, what makes you think that they might not go out, you know, because I'm quite sure that they get to go out sometimes, and maybe have sex and maybe get infected with HIV, what are you going to do then? I'll kick out, you know, another student because they get infected with HIV. I mean, it's so wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know. It's just it's the same. So, Sean, in, in 96, you started one of the first um, blogs over at POS.com, um, and you named it, you, you titled it Positoid, right? Yeah, I started I started writing a column for Pause Magazine in 97. Um when I first put up my website in 96, I was just going through like some uh <laughs> local cable company's site and it was just, you know, it was it was such a different time then. Um I started blogging for Pause maybe about 5 years ago. Um but yeah, I started writing for the magazine first in in 1997 and then um once uh once they started adding blogs to their website, I kind of noticed. And, and then um, after they'd had their blogs going for a little bit, I, I was just like, hey, I'd love to join in on that. And so they were like, oh, absolutely. So I kind of moved my blog over to them. So I blog on pods.com, and then the, the blog is also put up on seanandgwen.com. But I was I, I was a lot more active back when I first started. These days, man, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't post as many blogs. I don't know. I'm becoming an old man at, at 36 going on 37. No, you're not um, old. <laughs> yeah, I know. Actually, I feel, I feel so young, and it's like I'm, I'm excited that I'm approaching my 40s. And I know 40 is hard for some people, but for me, when I when I hit 30, that's hard for some people. Um, my partner Gwen, she turned 30 a couple months before me, and she was like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I'm 30. Wow, that's 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 crazy." And she kind of was wrapping her head around it, and and she you know wasn't sure if it was like you know. If she was into it so much, and then two months later when I turned 30, it was like a week-long celebration. <laughs> it's just right. totally. And she was like, hey, you, got, you got the 40. right attitude, man. Yeah. Yeah, 40 is, uh, is a big one, too. So. 40 is going to be for me next year, so I'm going to be, like, when I'm still here, it's going to be a good time for me. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, there's so much to celebrate when you hit those milestone birthdays, you That's know. Right. Especially when you, you know, when you were told or diagnosed that you were going to, like, maximum live, like, 10 years, I mean, if you were lucky. Yeah. Um, those, you know, 30s and, you know, the 40s, you know, and all that. It's something really special and deep, you know. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I think, uh, you know, people have a, a strange kind of, uh, you know, thought process on, on aging and getting older. And it's like, I just, I see these old guys, you know, if I'm at the coffee shop and an old guy comes in, I tell Glenn, that's going to be me someday. And she just smiles and she's like, you know, that that's going to be that's awesome right. to see that. <laughs> so that's my that's my that's... life goal, to become an old dude. <laughs> so, so speaking of, um, of Gwen, you and her do um, some touring together where you guys go and speak um, at, at colleges. Um, how's that? 
Um, that's great. Um, we've been doing uh, that now for about 11 or 12 years. We started in 2000, and um, yeah, yeah, we've just continued to do it. And um, you know, it's funny when we started, we were like, you know, the age of of, of some recent college graduates. We were like, you know, in our in our early 20s, 23, 24. And, you know, now there's much more of an age gap between us and the people we're speaking to. But we continue to do it because um, we we connect uh, with college students. And, um, you know, I wouldn't do it if I didn't if I didn't feel like we were, were making some sort of connection. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's it's so cool to go in. And, 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 you know, you know, people heard about the program coming in that I'm HIV positive and she's HIV negative and we're in a relationship and. And I know they're curious about that, and just you really want to really want to ask us some some questions about our sex life and and those type things. And by the end of the hour, after we've introduced ourselves and done question and answer and talked about what it's like and and talked about general sex education as well, and you know who's right. at risk and that risk behaviors are, are what put people at risk, not HIV statuses, but what your you know what your level of risk is and and the risk you're you know taking that that's what puts you at risk um so yeah by the end of it they see us as a healthy relationship and then they go on and they have the discussions with their friends about you know what risks have they taken um do they need to get tested do they need to approach how they feel about you know using condoms because you know for a lot of young people if they're on birth control they feel like everything's cool you know it's not until they show symptoms of a sexually transmitted infection that they start to worry or they hear that that has happened with a close friend so it's all about getting people to just get comfortable talking about sex um, and, and yeah, taking care of themselves and just changing the way they, they view sex. Right. As, we say, as we say, most people find it much easier to have sex than it is to talk about sex. Yeah. So true. So. so I just think it's great that you both go out and do that and, and are a face for couples that are, you know, positive and negative because a lot of people who are positive think that that's not possible or it's not a choice that they would take. And as somebody who's in a positive relationship, I appreciate, you know, people who go out and speak on that because it's a difficult thing to be in. You know, it's not an easy relationship. I think it would be easier to be with somebody who was positive. I think it's harder to be with somebody who's negative. Do you think, Sean? Um, well, I don't me, know. I've never been with anybody who was positive, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I never have either. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny because when I've, first started to open up about my status um, when I was 20 and I was talking with my friends that I went through high school with and I was so excited and, and I was, you know, and <laughs> doing a lot more writing on the blog and things like that. And um, I had a friend um, from high school, like a female, ask me, like, would you date somebody who's positive? And it was just this question that sort of had me, I had to step back and I had, and it wasn't that it was discrimination, but my thought was, could I date somebody if I was worried about their health? And then I like I had to think about it. I was like, yeah, I would, because then I went to the root of it. I was like, I just thought of the kind of person I'm attracted to, and I was like, gosh, if I fell in love with somebody and they were HIV positive, I would be like, wow, that's no big deal. But I did think from the emotional standpoint, you know, a lot of people know how HIV is transmitted. They understand that. But people people are worried you know people want to be with their partners for as long as they can and and if and if they're not if if they think HIV is going to shorten that then they might not be as you know they might not be as willing to enter a relationship so i think the whole thing with love is love tests you on so many levels and love is about you know life is unpredictable none of us know what's going to happen how much time we have and so i think love is really like you know and love is the ultimate test, and it's like people can find all it's sorts of reasons outside. Of, yeah, absolutely. You know, there are more things outside of medical that 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 you know you have to deal with. So yeah, for me, it's you know when I met Gwen, I I never thought um, you know when I was when I was growing up and going through my teenage years, I I never thought like I would be out about my status. I you know didn't think you know I met Gwen because she was called the local aid service organization was looking for somebody who was HIV positive to uh, to go into high schools and and talk about HIV, talk about their status. So I never thought that me putting my status out there would lead me to the person that, you know, was going to be my partner Didn't you meet in this whole adventure. Or something like that? What's that? Didn't you meet in line? Um but I I'm sorry I didn't I didn't catch that. Online? Did that. you meet online? Not online, uh, no. like the computer, but in line, like in a line to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 
it's a it's a crazy story um but but yeah i uh you know i talked to gwen on the phone because the aid service organization put us in touch and um she was looking for somebody who contracted the virus sexually because she wanted the, the talk to be sort of geared around uh, safe sex and and that type thing and so i didn't know that you know i probably wasn't going to talk to her again um but we ended up meeting in person waiting in line to speak to ryan white's mother Jeannie white um, who had come wow. to a university to talk, and there were like 800 people at the talk. There were like, you know, close to like 75 people waiting in line to talk to Jeannie after the program. And I was there with my friends, and I was just, you know, just talking about HIV and went up and thanked Jeannie and, and just said, you know, like my family went through, you know, a little bit of, you know, a more private um, right. version of what they went through. But, but right. we did. I was kicked out of school and just very briefly, you know, gave her a hug and said thanks for thanks for carrying on his, his message. And then Gwen was behind me and she just said, hey, wait, are you Sean Decker? I think I talked to you on the phone uh, <laughs> a month ago. So when I, when I wrote My Pet Virus, I wrote a little thing in there that, that – I really have to credit Ryan White because I think he was his spirit was in that room and he was kind of pulling the strings like, okay, Sean, you know, stand here in line, (laughs) do this, talk really loudly about being HIV positive. (laughs) So so yeah, I always always give uh, Ryan White a uh, tip of the hat for for hooking up a fellow uh, fellow hemophiliac from from above. I think that's an awesome story. That's why I remember the story from when you were on before and reading it in your book. So, uh, But people can actually uh, get your book by going to MyPetVirus.com, correct? Yeah, they can They can find um, find ways to get there. They can also go to um, Paws.com is where I refer a lot of people because they have a great okay. – they have a great link to all kinds of books that are about uh, living with HIV, about you know the medical aspects of it, and so you can you can find the book in their bookstore too, and also like you know check out a bunch of other books that are out there. So cool, they can go there and check that out, um, or or the website either or. Um, so the question I have coming from somebody on Twitter, actually a uh, Sonia Ga, she asked, "What do you think is the biggest challenge today for?" Positoids. <laughs> well, the biggest <laughs> challenge for positoids, um, gosh, I think the biggest challenge is, um, you know, getting over the hump in terms of if you're recently diagnosed, um, not not spending so much time isolated and, and not feeling like you can communicate with people. Um, all you have to do is have access to a computer. Public libraries have that. Um, you know, anybody. Um, you know, pretty much anybody can have access to that. So I think that's one of the one of the biggest challenges um, is to just reach out, get the help, and and be able to get on with your life. I mean, I live in a little bit of a bubble where, like, you know, all the friends I have who are positive are people that are doing incredible things. You know, like like Robert and Maria. It's like everybody I communicate with online, or, or they're just outspoken and doing these things. Um, so I try not to forget. Um, I've always tried to never forget how I felt when I was first diagnosed. So I think, by and large, worldwide, the biggest issue is just coming to terms, coming to peace with yourself, and um, not feeling shame about being infected, not feeling like you're subhuman. And I think that, you know, until there's a cure, I think that's going to always be the biggest challenge facing people who are diagnosed with HIV. That's right. I think that's, yeah, I think that's great. So uh, tell us a little about, you know, one of the reasons you wanted to come on tonight was because you wanted to talk about uh, your your band's new album. So tell us a little bit about how the band got together, you know, and, and how, how you got involved in all this. Were you always a singer? Um, I have, have been into doing music um, since high school. Um, music really helped me out um, when I was first diagnosed at, at 11. I really got into listening to music um, later that year. And then, you know, listening to music for a couple of years, then I got into like, you know, me and my friends kind of fiddling around with instruments and, and forming bands in high school and that type thing. Um, I was always like really shy, though, about singing, um, you know, in like school choir, like, you know, people always said, oh, you have a pretty decent voice. But I was always just really kind of bashful about it. It wasn't until when I was 20 when I started speaking out about HIV where um you know a couple years after that I turned the corner and realized like I'm writing these songs and I'm singing them but I if anybody said do you want to play these songs live I would have been like no way that's too personal you know 
and I used actually my educational work to really get brave about my music and say like gosh right. if I can if I can go in front of a, a room full of strangers and talk about being diagnosed and talk about being kicked out of school and talk about you know my fears of feeling like you know if I was going to be able to to find somebody and how I overcame that and you know got comfortable with myself it's like well okay take your own advice get comfortable with yourself you know <laughs> So, yeah, the HIV stuff really kind of ties into the music. And, and then, you know, I started writing more about, you know, uh, what it's like being positive, um, not spelling it out. Hey, this is my life with HIV, but but just kind of really addressing, um, you know, some of those those feelings you have when you're when you're by yourself and also going back and, and really kind of putting voice to the to the fears I had when I was uh, too scared to talk to anybody about them. So, yeah, um you know, doing doing the music, it's it, it's always music has always been important for me. Like before, there were HIV medications; they were my favorite bands. You know, right? Like I'd put on an album and just listen to it, and that would that would calm me down when I when I was really worried about what the future held for me. So, so now my meditation is creating music, and um, you know, I'm playing music with with one of my best friends now, uh, Josh, and. We went uh, through high school together, and and he's just you know he's like one of my favorite people, and we've been we've been doing synthetic division together for the last couple of years, and we've done a couple of tours up the east coast, and um, won condoms. Um, they sponsor bands and 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 give them condoms to give out for free at their shows, and Josh and I playing synthetic division shows, we've given out like over 800 condoms the last couple of years. That's awesome. so. So yeah, tying tying the music in with with my HIV message is really important because, as I said, you know I find it hard to blog. I find it hard to get motivated um, to to, mm-hmm. to educate about HIV. Um, I mean, Gwen and I go out, we share a personal story, but when I'm home, I find it really hard to get like kind of tapped into everything that's going on with social media. So for me, it's important. Yeah. You know, when I decide to focus on music, it's like okay, um, you know, I need to. I need to really explain what where these songs are coming from and not be vague about it and really really kind of tie it to the HIV educational message cuz music spoke to me when I was scared and when I was alone and I'm like, you know, I'm not I'm not afraid to like, you know, put the music out there and and tell people like, hey, this is this ties in to my survival. Um so is know. all the music um about being HIV positive? No, no, it it varies, you know. Um there's okay. definitely like uh, you know, there's you know, I, I I try to to write, you know, songs that elicit some sort of emotion <laughs> and I try to you know, write about you know, other people's takes on things like, you know, fear of death and 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 those type things. So, so yeah, it's it's you know, I write I write about just, you know, my my take on the human experience. So, Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to write happier songs, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I'm like such a happy-go-lucky guy, and I don't stress out about too much, and, and I'm very content with where I'm at in my life, and very, very thankful. Um, but the music, I think, is like for me, it's a it's a form of therapy. It's where I go to like to write like a serious song, and and you know, with with my HIV message, I, my main thing is I don't want to scare people off. I don't want I don't want somebody to be afraid. I don't want somebody to hear me talk and if they're HIV positive, have any walk away with any amount of fear. I want people to walk away. Isn't, isn't, isn't that messed up on that? As as people with HIV, we have to have that like we have that fear because of the stigma. But if we were walking down the street and just were singing, if you were writing songs about being a cancer survivor, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like people wouldn't look at you like you wouldn't have that thought. Like, do I have to worry about turning people away? <laughs> yeah, it's weird totally. how different things are viewed differently, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a shame. So, so where did the name of the band come from? Um, did you mean the name of, specific. Um, well, when I was in like tenth or eleventh grade, I remember we were we were you know <laughs> working on learning synthetic division and algebra one part two. And um, I just thought that would be a really cool band name because of Joy, you know, Joy Division um, is, right. is, is a pretty infamous um, band from from the early 1980s. And I just thought that would be a really cool name for a electronic music act. And so, yeah, when it came to my senior year, um, you know, my mom was doing uh, real estate work in town. At a, at a guy owned a studio and also did real estate work, and he would record like uh, you know country artists in his studio. 
And so I had this senior class project, and my mom was like, you want to do a CD for your senior class project? We can get you in the studio, and you can record some of your songs. And I went in and, like, recorded nine of them. Of course, no vocals at the time because, you know, I was too bashful about that. So, yeah, uh, when it came down, like, you know, do you want to call the CD Sean Decker? And I was like, no, I don't want to call the CD Sean Decker. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to call it Synthetic Division. Um, that CD, you can't find it anywhere. I haven't uploaded it online or anything. Um, I was thinking about doing it this year because I think this year marks, like, the, jeez, uh, 20-year anniversary of doing that CD. And I was like, why not put it up? Jeez, you know? Right. That's awesome. It's you know it could be just a funny thing like here's and this is my senior class project here's the songs that I was doing then um, but yeah that's where the band name came from. Cool. So I have one of your uh, songs here. So uh, line us up. Tell us a little bit about what the the, the song is, is is about. Yeah, yeah. The song is actually a Cure cover. Um, it's a it's a song called Close to Me. And the Cure, they're they're one of my favorite bands, and I just thought, you know, the reason for doing this the CD, um, which is is titled "Numb to the Numbers," the reason for doing it was to uh, to celebrate um, 25 years of being diagnosed with HIV, and um, I did a cover song on the CD I did two years ago um, called "So Alive." By Love and Rockets, and I thought just doing doing that song, you know, is is a way to be like so alive, you know. I'm, I'm so happy to be alive, you know. I just thought it was very obvious. So when I was thinking about doing a cover song for this release, I thought, what better than the Cure, you know? <laughs> until right. there's until there's a cure, there's the cure. That's what somebody on right. wrote <laughs> to me, and I was like, that is brilliant. I wish I came up with that by myself. <laughs> but until there's a cure, there's the cure, and I thought, you know, we're all. We all know that the day is going to come, you know, potentially. I'm pretty sure in our lifetimes we're going to see a cure for HIV. And so I thought, The Cure, they're one of my favorite bands. I want to do a song. And Close to Me is kind of like this, this, you know, it's got such a nice vibe to it. So I was like, i got to try this song. And then, you know, I sing a little different than the original songwriter, Robert Smith, because no one in the world can emulate his voice. It's so distinct. And so I just, you know, one of my friends, um, uh, Alan, Siegler up in New York, he's also involved with this uh, Synthetic Division release. Um, he programmed the song, sent it to me, and then I just started trying to sing it and kind of came up with my own take on it. Cool. So if you guys want, uh, we're going to open the, the phone lines um, while we uh, play the song. So if you want to reach us here and talk to Sean, 347-215-9442, uh, press the number one button so we know you want to come on air or you have a question. And this is uh, Close to Me by Synthetic Division.
And there you have it. That is close to me by Synthetic Division. Sean, are you there? Yes, yes. Okay, good. So if anybody would like to give us a call, 347-215-9442. So that everybody, I saw Mark King was putting in the chat room that he was tapping his toes to the music. Uh, very chill, laid-back music. I enjoy it. I love it. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, big props to The Cure for writing writing that song. It really is beautiful, and it was uh, it was an honor to 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 take on a song of one of my favorite bands. Wow. So it's hard. Whole album it's hard like when you're when you're it's... singing the song of a band you really like. You really don't want to screw it up. <laughs> right. <laughs> my own song. My own songs. If I mess up here or there, I really don't mind. <laughs> but it's it messing up yeah, someone else's that's song that's makes me nervous. Yeah, that is. We actually have a caller, so let me go ahead and bring this on. Uh, area code eight five zero. You're on the air. Who's this? Hi, this is Butch McKay, and hey, I apologize for getting on the. Pretty good. Sorry for getting on the call late. I had family in town, and uh, I was out eating shrimp. So, <laughs> uh, so you, you probably said this earlier in the interview. Where can you get a copy of your book, Sean? Um, you can uh, you can find places to order it online. You can go through Amazon.com. Copies are up there. Uh, you can also go to Paws.com. Also, if you go to your local bookstore, um, you can usually get them to order you a copy from the publisher as well. Okay. Like I said, you probably covered that earlier, but I just got on a few minutes ago. No, no, that's a great question. It it sounds like uh, you're one of my buddies that I said call in and ask this question. (laughs) It's a great (laughs) question. I love to answer that because people ask all the time, where can you get your book? And it came out in 2006, so you know there aren't there aren't many copies at the bookstore, and that's where most people will go to kind of browse and see if they can find it. So, so yeah, doing a lot of promoting of it online really helps out. So, so yeah, online is the best place to go. Okay, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing, Sean, and telling your story and making a difference. Oh, thanks so much. I'd, I'd do my best. Thanks for calling in, Butch. Okay, you have a good evening. Take you it go. easy. Bye-bye, Butch. You know, that's interesting because, you know, you were telling, like, you know, in the bookstores, when I first, about, I want to say in 2005 was kind of when I first started really getting involved in activism and trying to reach out to other people living with HIV. And your book was one of the only books that was in the Barnes and Nobles when I went to it. So, you know what I mean? It was like, it was your book. It was, and the band played on and the first year, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's sad. You know, it's sad that all the, all the books that I find online, all the people that I've had on the show who've written books about HIV or AIDS, you know, they're not in that section in, in the bookstore. And it's kind of disheartening for somebody who's newly diagnosed to go there and not see a lot of information. Because, you know, some people may have looked at your book. Like, I could have looked at your book and went, oh, he's a straight guy. I don't relate to him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I could have totally have done that and been, you know, turned off by it. Thank God, you know, I don't think like that. But it's just yeah. kind of sad yeah, that it's not accessible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when I, my goal in writing the book was to just tell my story as honestly as I could and um, and talk about what it was like going through, you know, childhood, pre-HIV, post-HIV, and then write about what it was like after I decided to come out of the HIV closet. And, um, you know, trying to find a publisher because I really, you know, one of my goals was I want this book to be just just where I can't get to. I want people to be able to stumble upon this. And, and and get the information, get the hope they need to to see that you know you know it isn't the end of the road when you, when you test positive. And yeah, when uh, when I was trying to find you know publisher, you know my agent was was um, was was making the rounds with his contacts, and there was some interest, but there was some fear of of, of on on some parts of of publishing a, a book about wow. HIV because the whole thing was well HIV books you know it's it's 2006. Um, they haven't really sold so well since the you know mid early 1990s, <laughs> and so it was mm-hmm. like a financial decision, um, not really based on any discrimination. So for me, it was like you know I found the right home for it. I found um, people that were willing to go to bat for it, and and they just thought I told the story in a humorous way that would that would that would resonate with people. And so yeah, you know I'm so psyched that it was there. It was there sitting with in such good company that day when you were in the bookstore and and and. That's how that's how we ended up meeting, and it's like you know, I, 
I just love that that book is out there floating around. I still get messages mm-hmm. from people who have just discovered it, either friends pass it on to them or they stumbled upon it in a used bookstore. And it's, you know, I'm proud of it. You know, I put my heart and soul into it, accomplished, you know, a life goal. And I just, you know, I'm glad it's out there helping people get and through. And it's, it's really time. funny, too. You know what I mean? The way that you wrote it, it's, it's, it's funny at times where you're like laughing. <laughs> well, I can't wait to get it. I can't wait to get it now. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Life, life is funny, and and one of the one of the things that helped me um, get over the hump it was before I started, you know, talking about my status and disclosing it. But around the age of 17, I think was was the first time where I, I really felt like I could laugh at myself. You know, I could step out of situations and just kind of laugh at myself genuinely, right. like find humor in things I did. Whereas you're just coming out of your your most self-conscious period of your life, and then I remember at 17, like feeling like oh, I came out of that. Wow. Wow. And uh, and so yeah, I just I kind of used that. You know, a few years later, when I decided I wanted to speak about HIV, I was like, I'm not going to stop laughing at myself. You know. That's right. I can't I can't be I can't be like a serious activist, and, and we need those. We need people that are are on Capitol Hill. We need people who are angry. We need, we need people who are raising their voices because. You know, sometimes the squeaky wheel does get the grease, and I applaud those activists um, because I I can't do it. You know, <laughs> everybody everybody has their message. Absolutely, we're all like a NASCAR team. We're all getting the car back on the road and running it, and we're just trying to you know we're just trying to get get the job done as a collective unit. So for me, where I, where I'm best is is when I'm letting my sense of humor loose, and where I'm you know just incorporating that into the HIV message, and and there's no better example of that than my pet virus um well i guess there is a better example i'm 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 actually prouder of the work when and i do speaking together than i am of the book <laughs> that, so, and was that like a form of therapy for you writing the book um by that point um you know it's sort of like putting up the website the, when i first started speaking out that was that was very okay. therapeutic in terms of like tackling this thing that I'd lived with for 10 years and not felt comfortable talking to anybody about. Yeah, so so doing the website and writing that positoid column for pause, that was very therapeutic. By the time I got to the book, um the book the book had a different purpose for me. Um and and I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad. I'm glad I like had the experience of of writing on the blog and for the magazine that helped make me a better writer. I'm glad I had right. the experience of of telling my story with Gwen and and having it in the context of a healthy relationship because that helped right. make the book better. And so yeah, by the time I got to writing the book, um yeah, I just uh, I was I was a lot more confident and just you know, speaking about HIV was a normal thing in my life by the time I I started right. writing writing that book. Well, I think That's it's awesome. great and for people who um are just tuning in, um uh, the book itself is my Pet Virus, The True Story of a Rebel Without a Cure. Sean, I want to thank you so much for hanging out with us for this hour, sharing us your story and, and your music and, and your passion. It, it's admirable, and I and I respect you so much. Well, the adver- admiration goes both ways. I love what, what both of you are doing, and, um, you know, I'm honored to be a part of the team. <laughs> and, and much, love, much love to you guys. Keep up the great work, and, and thanks for talking to me. You're welcome. You have a great night, too, Sean. Okay, take care. Thank you. And remember, you can find more information on our guest, Sean Decker, by going to um, www.mypetvirus.com or follow him on Twitter at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Decker. Um, And uh, definitely go and check out hashtag HIV on Twitter and Facebook. Maria, you did amazing. Thank you for hanging out with me. Congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. I'm so excited. Where can people find you at? Well, actually, um, they could find me in Facebook and Maria HIV Mejia, M-E-J-I-A, or on Twitter at Maria HIV Mejia, or in YouTube, Maria's Journal, or any of the blogs in thebody.com and the World Project or a girl like me, I'm Maria T. Mejia. All right. Awesome, Maria. Thank you so much. And more information on myself and the radio show and some upcoming shows, uh, you can go to www.pazim.com. Um, Again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week when we actually will be speaking with the first man ever cured of HIV, Timothy Brown, so you don't want to miss that. Have a great night. Awesome. Have a great night, Robert.